0: Hello and welcome everyone to the Cricket Slouch podcast, where we are absolutely outraged at the outrage in the aftermath of the second Mm -hmm. Ashes test. Just when we thought the first test was full of drama that couldn't get worse, we have had members of the famed MCC hurl abuse at players, and this seemingly innocuous game of cricket has threatened international relations with the Australian media portraying English players as little babies with dummies in their mouth, (laughs) and the British PM has weighed in with his opinion on this matter. At the time of this recording, we await Albanese's response. To help make sense of this chaos amongst the gentry, I have two commoners with me. Welcome, James and Damien. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you, uh, thank you for having um, a convict on your podcast, Sigir. I, I appreciate <laughs> the invite. Uh, I suppose the sins of your forefathers have been forgiven by now. <laughs>
1: yes, I, I I do believe Albo has responded. Actually, I'm just trying to find his tweet. He had he has put out a tweet. So over the, over the course of the podcast, I'll I'll I'll, I'll see if, if if I can find his response to the English um, Prime Minister. But uh, but uh, but hopefully this little podcast can sort of maybe reach across and, you know, and we can find some peace. Sure, sure. So have you two recovered from the crazy test match yet?
2: Um, for me, I, I have, um, you know, switched, switched it off um, quite quickly. And, um, yeah, for me, um, look, you know, crazy, crazy test match. But I felt that despite all the controversy, I, 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 England weren't really good enough
0: for the, for the game to win that game. Uh, I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, at any point, especially on that last day when Ben Stokes suddenly went into beast mode, did you think he could pull it off yet again As uh, after his heroics in Headingley in 2019?
2: Look, I think he's got it in, in him to do that and pull it off again. Um, you know, obviously he went into beast mode after the Bairstow incident. So we don't know what would have happened uh if if uh, that hadn't have happened whether he would have um he he said himself that he, he wasn't sort of anger or anything like that it was more just a game situation they they were you know down into the tail and he had to go for it uh which is another interesting thing about baseball as well in that um Stokes seems to be the only player that actually is playing the situation, not just uh not just going out and slogging so it's it's interesting that he he's the one that ad- adapts his game and uh, yeah doesn't just uh, throw throw the bat around. That's for a different matter though.
0: <laughs> you know you know when people say that there's things only certain players can do, and mm. you know there were things players like Wave Richards did and Bla and Lara did, and uh, you know say for example Tendulkar at one stage, and then KP pulling up a few outrageous innings. Stokes is that kind of a player, and I don't want to take his heroics away from him, but I do wonder whether Australian tactics of continuously bowling short, especially on a pitch which wasn't really threatening enough, you know might have had some role to play in how he went about his game and you know he he's a strong man he he is good at range hitting. And when the ball is in his arc where he can swing freely, you know, he's going to hit it without any fear whatsoever. And I just wondered, how long would it have taken the Australian bowlers to realize there's three sticks poking out of that ground over there where this batsman is? Let's see if we can target those three sticks. And, you know, after, what, three or four dismissals, eventually with the last pair, the first ball that mid Stark bowled at the stumps that, that got that uh, last wicket. I think it was Josh Tung that he got up, wasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now, while all of this drama was going on, I thought I'd rather sleep early because I just couldn't handle that tension at all. But... You know, I couldn't sleep, so I was just continuously checking the score and the updates of what was happening. And for a time, I thought, you know, maybe I need to call an out-of-hours GP or something and get some blood pressure tablets. Uh, <laughs> it was that. It was that intense. Uh, Damien, were you following the game, or did you? Yeah, go off the Yeah, I think bait?
1: I sent you a text, which I thought Mitch Stark wanted the game over by lunch, regardless of of, of the result. You know, certainly, I think you know the way you know the, the way Stokes was batting. It's a shame, really, that. It's gone the way it has because we should we should actually be, be talking about his innings, and and all of this is sort of o- overshadowed. You know, really, what a, what a great knock he actually did play, and the fact that he almost he almost took the game to Australia, and it's just it, it is such a shame. And you know, it's bravely batted. You know, um, so yeah. Look, I I went to bed, and then I got up the next morning and, and looked at my phone and just went what, and really from then on in it just it just hasn't stopped really. Um, all of it and and I just I just you know it is such a shame it has got to this but I uh, but but it does make interesting dialogue it makes great cricket and um great drama the fact that you know it has got so much coverage now in my
0: 30 years of watching cricket on TV reading about it I have never seen that reaction from the mcc members and the general public at lords it was loud it was boisterous. It was in your face. I have not known Lords to be like that. James, do you ever recall seeing anything like this at Lords?
2: No, never. Uh, and it's, in particular, the behaviour and the carry on in the in the in the long room—that's um, unheard of. I mean, you might you might get like a People's Day on the fifth day. Uh, and you get a bit more of a football crowd coming in, but not not like to this extent. Um, and yeah, the, just the amount of bad blood that was being. Shown out there, uh, well, is <clears throat> quite surprising. You know, this isn't Old Trafford or Headingley. This
0: was Lord's. E- exactly. Now, you know, it just goes to show that the rivalry is still well and truly alive. And, you know, if you keep on having games like this, test cricket is not going to die anytime soon, is it? No,
2: absolutely not. You know, yeah. th- this, this just... uh increases our rivalry and the talking points and all of that and although you know we're all going to be stuck on the 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 one issue uh there there is so much to cover really in this particular test match
0: yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because you know unfortunately our recording after the first ashes test match you know went missing, and then there were chunks that were lost into the ether, so I couldn't post that up. But we did talk about how a lot of the discussion in the first test match uh so sort of revolved around England's premature declaration, but it overall took away from the fact that England did not play as well as Australia did. And it looks like in this game, it comes down to similar issues that where England, where do you think England lost this match? Let, let me put that question mm. to you first, and then I'll get Damien's view on that before I chip in.
2: Well, look, I mean, from day one, I was really disappointed with the way they came out, where the way England came out on bowled on that first morning in, in those conditions, um, you know, they, they, they really were really, the ball wasn't doing much, uh, no pace, um, and no intensity, uh, lots of smiling and joking and carrying on with the batsman. Uh, in fact, that I think the batsmen were out waiting for the bowls to come out, it, it just, it was way too relaxed. Um, and it, it was not what you expected. You thought, you know, this is a game they've got to win. They've they, they've, got a the perfect conditions and, and they just wasted them. Uh, you know, they bowled, I'm not saying they bowled terribly that morning, but Josh Tong was the only one who really caused any problems. He got it to move around and dart about a bit. Uh, but Anderson looked uh, innocuous yet again. Um, Stuart Broad bowled some nice deliveries, but, um, y- you know, he wasn't, didn't have much luck. Um, Yeah, so overall, that was was quite disappointing for me. That was where part of this game was lost. And then also the way they batted after getting to 188 for one and then just basically throwing it away, chasing the shore ball uh, when it it just needed a half an hour of ducking, you know, and um, and getting through that period. So that, for me, was where this game was won and lost. Damien, do you
1: have a different take on this? It's a shame that, once again, you know, Besto, but the first session of the first test, I, I saw a cricketer pick up a, a, and, and an oil protester and, <laughs> yes. and, and march him off the ground. Now, <laughs> I think the first the first session to me was really pre and post oil protesters, to be honest with you. I, to me, Warner didn't look that relaxed. He looked quite tense and Khawaja was, you know, sort of just guarded. And they really, I think Australia was going for maybe two runs, averaging two runs and over. And then you had, was it three protesters with orange paint or orange smoke jump onto the ground? And now that I've, I've seen a bit of YouTube, I, I do believe this is maybe common in, in English sport where they've disrupted snooker tournaments and, or you know. So I'm assuming that the English cricketers might have known that they were possibly going to target the pitch with the with the smoke and the paint. And that's maybe why Bairstow and Co. jumped where Warner and Khawaja didn't. And... It just seems to me that post the oil protest, I mean, England to me seems, seems sort of, that sort of distracted them, where Australia sort of got away a bit to the point where they were no wicket for seventy two. And I thought to myself, to me, you know, the it's almost like there was a, there's a tale of two of two halves in in, in that first session. And I think uh, it's a shame for England that the um, that the protesters came when they did. Oh, look, I think I think Andrew Simons Simon's in some ways to gear ha- having a beer towards Jane, to, to, towards bare because that was a similar. He, he gave a similar um um I guess greeting to a to, to a streaker in, in in the gutter I think in twenty in twenty twelve so yeah. uh, no very very brave of Bear Sto to 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 do that and certainly it it, it made for some great photos and and everything mm. great means yeah true true.
0: But, uh, you know, I do agree that I think England wasted the best of the bowling conditions on day one. And as James has pointed out, uh, the bowlers were just short in pace. I mean, Josh Stung was the only one who basically got anything over 140. Anderson was bowling at around, I don't know, 131, 32... Uh, Ollie Robinson was somewhere in the 126 to 130 bracket. Broad was in the 130 to 134 bracket. And even though the ball was swinging early on, both of the, I think Anderson and Robinson were mostly pitching that ball outside leg to the left-handers. And that just, took the LBW out of the equation, took the bold out of the equation. And I noticed that David Warner made a slight adjustment in how he approached them. Like he just walked a couple of steps towards the bowler and sort of shuffled across to his offside as well, trying to negate some of the movement of the pitch and even in the air. And even though he scored 60-odd, I-, I thought he was a bit lucky in a way to get that many runs. I mean, not, not that, well, he, he did have that drop chance as well. With Pope dropping him in the slips. And that's one of the main differences as well, isn't it? It has been the fielding. Like Australia may have dropped a couple of catches, you know, not as many chances as England have shelled.
2: England have tended to
0: drop um,
2: top players and often at the start of an innings, or they've missed chances with
0: the new ball. Uh, And, you know, you, you can't really afford to do that. Can't at least not at uh, top tier cricket, isn't it? And that was what Best was dismissal in the second innings was. It was just a brain fade, and he just took it for granted that you know the ball's dead and nobody's going to do anything. But in the post match conference, uh, Pat Cummins said that they had noticed Best doing this on a few occasions, so they thought it would be worth a try to see if they can catch him, uh, catch him short, and eventually that's what uh, transpired. But then it just got blown into this massive controversy that. So it sort of takes the gloss of uh, Stokes' batting uh, to a certain extent and the overall approach from the England team. The other thing I wanted to touch on was, you know, a very rare failure for Joe Root in this test match. And, And you do have to wonder how much are his contributions actually worth to the team? Because, you know, Stokes will play this Maverick innings once in a while and everybody goes gaga over that. But I have always maintained this belief that a lot of England's success is down to players like Joe Root, who perform consistently game after game, uh, no matter what the conditions and the situations. And, uh, you know, just because we are so used to watching him play so well, And then, you know, something like this happens, you know, the whole focus gets uh, shifted um, onto some other player. Um, You know, it is important that everybody contributes in a game. Duckett had a good game. You know, he had those twin half centuries. But even then, I felt that, you know, he's probably new to the team and bowlers are yet to figure out how to get him out. Pretty much like how Rory Burns' initial success was. Um, what are your views on Ben Duckett? Because he does tend to slash a lot on the offside, and he is at risk of actually getting an edge into a gully or chipping it to point or even inside edge onto the stumps, given how he approaches that ball. And basically, his back foot is just rooted there.
2: Look, I think he looks fairly solid. Um, he's fairly simple technique. Um, he's. Uh, you know, he's got to be really pleased with his own personal performance in this test. And, uh, you know, he'll take a lot of confidence from that. He's definitely, he's definitely going to have some runs where he's nicking off and getting caught in the gully quite a bit. Um, and like you say, it may well be that he's new and it and he hasn't been analyzed as much as some of the other players and, and they'll, they'll work out some other ways to get him out. Um, but at the moment, I, I think he just has to probably enjoy his position could be worse. He could be Ollie Pope.
0: <laughs> 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 well, Ollie Pope isn't that bad. But there's this stat that Andy Zoltzman put out that Ollie Pope average is about 46 when he bats for the first innings in a match, and then in the second innings, that average drops to about 16. And for any player who has scored more than 1,500 Test runs, that is the biggest disparity for any top order bat- batter, or, or maybe any batter. And that—that's a telling stat. I mean, all the ball that he got in the second innings, absolute corker of a delivery from Pat Cummins. Yeah, it was an absolute that Was a up. great ball. Yeah, that was a. Th- this question is for you, Damien. So, if people like Cummins can bowl that sort of delivery, and Stark, uh, the one that Stark got, uh, uh, who, who did he get out? Because he, he got was it Zach Crowley that he got? Is that, uh, that Crawley bringing you know, yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Why did Australia then resort to this short ball barrage in the second half of that innings, so or basically, effectively, all of day five?
1: Can I just go? Sorry, I, I will answer that question. Can, can I just go back to, to the to the to the Ben Duckett question for a second? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. I think Ben Duckett to me equals baseball, and and I think baseball is just a hideout of ideas. And ball. you know, I th- and I think you know, you can baseball to me is almost like an excuse for. Bas A baz sorry. If 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 if, if baz works it works. If if, if Ducket works, it works. If it doesn't, I will try again. And I'm very keen to see him bat in the second innings. I. e. Australia bat first, then then, then 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 it's his turn. Then by the four things he has to go again. Because I'm 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 very curious to see how attacking he'll be. And and that and, and that's the question I think I would like to. I would love to see answered next test as Australia wins the toss bats first. So what, what's your view on the short ball barrage? Uh, well, I think, I think Australia, I think Australia e- experienced it, um, in, in their innings. And certainly it did work to a point in, in, in English first innings. I don't know why they continued with, with the short ball barrage, to be honest with you. I, 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 I do believe, in, in, in particular, Stark is is a rhythm bowler, and I know, and and I'm and I'm not sure why he persisted with that. Certainly, when he's at his best, he's you know the ball is seeming and and, 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 he, and he's bowling fuller, not shorter. My only, my only, I'm assuming McDonald and Co. have 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 talked tactics, and, and 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 decided that that the short ball was the way to go. But it's something which 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 I wouldn't agree with, and 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 hopefully they don't pursue next Test match.
0: I can understand that for somebody who has a known weakness against the short ball, say, for example, someone like Moeen Ali or Stuart Broad, you know, you just employ it for a short burst, get their wicket and move on to regular, you know, bowling methods and tactics. But what we witnessed on Sunday was just absolute shambles. I mean, you had Ben Stokes back in his crease, ready for the short ball. His backlift was high enough. He knew the short ball was coming and yet, you know, he just kept being fed the same line, the same length, more or less. And, you know, he just whacked them for boundaries and sixes. Now, at that time, somebody should have said, okay, let's try something different. Let's try and attack these thumps. Um, Even the ball that he got out, you know, he just tried to whack it. It was just that it wasn't high enough and it was leaving him that it sort of spliced off the face of the bat. And I thought, okay, now that Stokes is gone, at least they'll get back to bowling normally. But, you know, it just persisted way beyond that, which to me just doesn't make sense. And likewise, I think England were equally guilty, especially when Lyon came on to bat. You could see that he couldn't even stand properly, right? He wasn't able to, you know, do a forward press and just dead bat that ball. You know, he was clearly struggling. All you had to do was just bowl straight and fast at his stumps, and he was gone. But, you know, they just continue with the same short ball tactics to both him and Stark. And that last wicket partnership was worth 15 runs for the Australians. In the grand scheme of things, Australia weren't able to do that. The target was more within England's grasp, even after Stokes departed, and perhaps they would have approached it differently. Who knows? You know, in really close games, these kind of things matter, don't you think? Yeah, I, I don't know why they were, they persisted with bowling
2: short to, to Nathan Lyon. Uh, when he came out, I mean, the the guys can barely walk. Surely, should be picking, pitching it up, making him get on his front foot and stretch his calf even further, rather than trying to uh, what they did, which was just the the, the wrong strategy. I, I thought that Australia's barrage of short bowling in, in England's first innings worked quite effectively, and it did really, it did really ruffle them up the the English. Um, Harry Brook looked really uncomfortable with a short ball. Even Joe Root didn't look very comfortable. Yeah, you know, I can see why they did that, but it, I don't think it was necessary in the second innings. I think they should have switched their tactics back after that.
0: Yeah, I thought so too. And uh, you know, there have been instances in the past where England have just succumbed to, you know, an unexpected. Burst of short bolt. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one famous example was 2014 at Lords when Ishan Sharma took seven wickets in that innings and England actually lost that test match despite, uh, you know, being in good position early on. And like you said, you know, if it's done in an unexpected manner when the players are not prepared, yeah, you're likely to be successful. But then the repetition in the second innings, personally, I think that the Australian bowlers sort of took it personally that they bowled short to Nathan Lyon, despite him being injured. And I think they just made it their mission to dish out some sort of revenge or something. I I don't know. This is just my speculation. Pat Pat Cummins mentioned that they did it because they weren't getting any movement off the pitch. Mm. There were some uneven bounds. But, you know, you could see that if they really applied themselves, there was still some swing to be obtained. And, you know, all you have to do is just cleverly vary the pace of your delivery and just the angle very slightly. And they could still get edges and miscued hits and uh, things like that. So, I don't know. It just sounds really bizarre. I think,
1: me. you know, Sigir, I think Stephen Fleming, the old New Zealand captain, former New Zealand captain, he mentioned Sir, um, Phil Wall. Sorry, sorry, Phil Hughes, the, um, the Australian batsman. Um, he would say that Phil was good for 30 runs. He would move Gully out, and and then and then have a big gap between Gully and Point. And he would, and I guess he would say, "Look, you know, Phil will get twenty. He'll, he'll get a couple of boundaries, but he's not good enough, and and he'll eventually get the edge." And that always happened. And I remember I was at the Gabba one day watching it, and it was almost painful to watch. And I'm just assuming that the, that when you when you bowl short, you bowl defensive. It's it's been the ploy since Bradman, you know. That's what you do. You set your field, and this time Stokes is good enough. You know, maybe Cummings just goes, "Hey, look, this this, this guy will score forty, but we'll get him." But uh, you know, unfortunately for um, for Cummings, he scored one hundred and fifty five. So the ploy just didn't work. So they'll so hopefully they'll 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 go back, plan again, and you know you're right. Do some more you know bowl to the stumps, bowl with some variation. Making play, get him on the front foot.
0: A lot of cricket observers and a lot of former players will also say this that the short ball is to be used as a surprise weapon. Not not when it's overdone, you know, it kind of loses that magic. And you know, the one to Stokes almost worked because Steve Smith of all the people dropped a catch once he was past his hundred. But even before he got to his hundred, I think there were two balls that just just made it over the fence where the fielder was, mm. and I think that partly comes down to Ben Stokes' power. If yes. maybe it was Broad or Anderson, it probably would have ended up a catch rather than go for a six. So you know, these little little things do make a little bit of a difference too. And, um, and
1: how happy do you think Anson will be if he has to bowl short for, for the for the for the rest of the series? Is that what he is? Is that what he's here to do? Is that what he wants to do? You know, probably I, not. You know, bowling short actually takes a
0: lot out of a bowler physically, especially when you have to do it over after over, three, four balls every over, bend your back. You know, It it does take its toll. And Anderson's forte, his strength, is not bowling short. His strength is bowling length and getting that ball to swing. Stuart Broad, on the other hand, I think is an effective short ball bowler. And Ollie Robinson could be one given his height and the lift he gets of a reasonably good length as well. And I think that was what made Khwaja really uncomfortable when they started bowling short to him and eventually you hold out to Broad.
1: And I think some of the anger around Gary Lyon, it's Nathan Lyon, sorry, was the fact that, I think, it was it Kevin Peterson and uh, Isha Guha? And I think a few of the commentators made mention that he was out there to get a substitute. So he was hoping to get hit. And I know that that, that drew a, a response from Nathan, I think, mm. after, after that game. And I actually did go back because I just wanted to, because Phil Hughes passed away in 2014, and I just, I just want, and there was a Shield game between New South Wales and South Australia, and in that side um, of, of the two Shield teams, there was Warner, Stark, Lyon, Hazelwood was rested. He was, he was to make his debut against India in a month. Pat Cummings was injured, and in South Australia, we had Travis Head playing. So, you, so you had five, six players. Who were there on the ground that day? That that saw it, and then and then. I, I, so I'm assuming there there might have been a, a bit of anger in, in the second innings d- directed towards
0: England. Post that as well. There were two occasions where Stuart Broad got hit really badly, and Anderson got hit really badly mm. once. Now I think the common theme amongst all those three incidents was. Both of them took their eyes off the ball and were in no position to say what the trajectory of the ball was. And unsurprisingly, they got hit. And I think I remember this when Phil Hughes passed away. You know, we had this conversation, this discussion that one of the main reasons that Phil Hughes kept getting hit or got hit in the first place was because a lot of players, when they come through junior ranks now, because they are used to wearing helmets and they are aware that they have this protection the technique in which they handle short balls is deficient. And it's far more easier for them to take their uh, eyes off the short ball rather than it is to sort of weave and duck or get into position early and use their Mm -hmm. bat to play a pull shot or a hook shot. And and I think that's what we saw with Stuart Broad. as well. He just completely took his eyes off the ball and, and just got hit absolutely in a nasty way.
2: Yeah, well, I, th- I think Stuart Broad, he has um, some post-traumatic stress disorder from, uh, I can't remember, well, you, you'll you know better uh, about that. Someday. Yeah, it was, um, he, Varun, yeah, he was really playing against India at the time. India, or, yeah, yeah, India and Warren yeah.
0: Aaron hit him. And I think Warren mm. Aaron was probably one of the first Indian bowlers who could regularly hit 90 to 95 miles an hour. At that point, and he hit Broad in a very bad way. And since then, Broad's batting, especially against short pitch bowling, has never been the same. Yeah,
2: because remember when Broad actually first came on the scene, he was he was pretty much an all rounder. Uh, he he could bat brilliantly, um, and and then it was after that incident that that he just uh, pretty much gave up on batting, uh, yeah. and he was just happy to go and have a, a swing after that.
0: Yeah, th- yeah, that's true. And I think, uh, you know, it has basically affected the lower order runs that England have been able to manage as well. And um, w- what's your take on these regular collapses that England sort of seems to find themselves in? You know, like we had this particular first innings collapse, which happened in a total of 60 overs where mm. England lost about, what, eight, 10 wickets for 110 runs or so? and then in yeah. 2021 uh when india was visiting england uh i think they lost the second innings in about 55 overs at lords and then another and they were going well at the oval and then lost all of their wickets in about 60 overs at the oval as well so uh, you know, do you think that this is becoming a habit because obviously at that time baseball wasn't in existence it was different mm-hmm. now we can sort of it's easy to point fingers at baseball but i don't think it is the baseball effect well I, thought, I i think there's
2: you say look you look at the collapse uh in the england's first innings and it's just brainless batting uh where where they've just handed the their wickets away so that's frustrating because it's not like they've been rolled over and they're, they're sort of just getting getting undone by quality bowling. They're, they're, they're throwing it away. And um, we saw bits of that in the first test as well, where r- rather than just kind of really rub home their advantage, they, they started throwing wickets away. And I know that people just go, well, that's basketball and that's the way they're playing. But there's going to be a time where you've got to – um, adapt to the game and um, and, and take full advantage. Because if you, if you don't take your advantages
0: in Test Cricket, you won't win the match. That, that's true. It's about that balance in the side, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Australian side, you've got Travis Head who bats at a faster clip. But then you've got Smith, Lavishane, and uh, Khwaja, who kind of take their time, they're more in a traditional test mode. Uh, you've got Warner, who gets going at a fast rate as well. I mean, it's a different story altogether that is not in form at the moment. And he generally struggles in England. But, you know, to me, it seems as if England have got not just their batters, but also their bowlers cut in a very similar mold. And you know, that seems to be affecting some of their chances. Um, speaking of the bowling, I also noticed the number of extras that England bowled. In the first innings, they bowled 38, including 12 no balls. And in the second innings, they uh, gave away 36 extras, uh, including seven no balls and uh, f- six wides. And or let slip 14 buys. So in the grand tally of runs. So if you look at the Australian scorecard, extras sat at fifth-highest score in the first innings and second-highest score in the second innings. Now, if you compare, not compare, but if you combine those 36 extras, and let's say you think, okay, six is maybe par for course, but 30 were extra extras, and then the 15 runs from the last-wicket partnership between Stark and Lyon, that's about 45 runs, which is roughly the margin of Australia's victory. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, And they're the fine margins, are they, that we're looking at? So, that's something that England have to look at. Why are they bowling so many no balls? Why are they bowling so many wides in a test match? You know, it's just something, it's just not on.
0: And David Saker is the bowling coach now. David Saker was the bowling coach when England was dominating Australia between in that period from 2009 to 2011 or so. I'll maybe stretch it to 2013, English summer. The bowlers are roughly the same because Broad is there, Anderson is there, Mark Wood wasn't there then. But do, do you think it's just the quality of the bowlers or is it that Anderson Broad are now definitely getting on with their years and are no longer as effective as they used to be?
2: Um, I think there's a number of factors. the 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 pitchers are obviously not doing much. the 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 ball itself there's an issue there with the Duke ball, um, and I, I've read James Anderson's article that the he put in the Telegraph or the Times or whatever it was, and he's really just a one long moan. About um, <laughs> about the conditions and everything, and, yeah. But that's uh, nothing new, is it? <laughs> no, but he, he, his 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 article last week was fairly similar as well. And that that was one long moan. So uh, the the comment section is is very much as to well, maybe it's time to to retire, you know. Um, but uh, but look at the, I think looking at the way he's he has performed in these first two tests. I'd be surprised if he gets picked in the next one. Uh, I, I really think they'll they'll bring in Wood, so somebody's got to go, and um, I, I think James will miss out next time round.
0: Right. So the next game is at Headingley. There's not a lot of time between the Lords and the Headingley Test. What are the changes you anticipate England to bring in?
2: I think Moen might come back in, and 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 Mark Wood um, and and Anderson to miss out. And uh, they, they might drop Hong as well, even though he was quite effective in the first test. They, they, they might just go with Robinson, Broad,
0: Wood, and Moen Alley. What about having both Anderson and Broad sit this one out, given how many body blows Broad has copped in the Lord's test?
2: Well, we look. We don't know how their bodies are feeling, how how up for another, another, another test they are straight away. We just don't know. But uh, I, I just think the way that Broad has been bowling, I, I think I think he's he has been quite effective and, and a little bit unlucky. So I'd imagine he he will keep his place if he if he's up for it.
0: Yeah, I'll agree that he's definitely been bowling better than Anderson. Um, Damien, do you anticipate any changes on Australian uh, on the
1: Australian team's part? Well, other than probably um, Todd Murphy coming in for Nathan Lyon. I will. I would suspect I'll, that they will stick with the with with the other ten players. I, I can't imagine any changes. Um, Stark, maybe. I maybe for Boland. I, I don't know. I know that. Interesting that uh, Matt Renshaw has been dropped. He's he, he's now out of the side um, completely, and Neither has been brought. So he's now a full time player apparently. So. Whether or not they're looking, maybe at at an easier option as well later on, but I'd imagine for this next test they will be unchanged. Just James, just in regards to Saturday night, Saturday, England bowled a hundred overs in Australia's in, in Australia's second innings. It was, it, it almost seemed like Kohanga and Smith were batting there to make England bowl, and mm. it, it, it's almost like they were almost eyeing off the third test. In, in some regards, just 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 to just 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 to increase the workload of the of the English bowlers. It's funny you mentioned
0: that because I pointed this out to somebody on Twitter, saying that you know pretty much by now Australia has batted a hundred overs in every innings except for the second innings in Birmingham because they won in ninety two overs, and it plays a part because you know this just tires out the bowlers far more. Like if you look at just the first Test match. English bowlers bowled 60 more overs than the Australians did. That is a lot of overs. Yeah. And I think from an Australian perspective, I personally wouldn't mind if Josh Hazelwood was rested for the Leeds test and Michael Nisa came in, somebody with fresh legs and somebody who can actually add a few extra runs to that lower order. Because, uh, you know, Australia's middle order is not performing as well as it should, right? And th- this was one of the other things. Like, you know, Australia has won both these games, not because they have been absolutely brilliant or they have completely shut out England and their basketball tactics. I think Australia has had a few lapses in the field and they've been poor in segments as well. But it, it feels like Australia's wins have come because England has been worse still. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Uh,
2: you know, I don't think either team's been uh, tremendous. I mean, there's been some amazing cricket, but uh, both teams have looked beatable, to be honest. Uh, it's just that Australia has uh, has seized the moments in the games so far.
0: Yeah. Now, after the first Test match, Brendan McCullum went on record or at least the media reported it, that, you know, he told his players, look, don't lose heart. The way I see it, we are 1-0 up because we have played the game that we wanted to play. Do you think he's probably giving similar messages after the second test match too? W- what's likely to be the morale boost? you know, in-
1: there, is a, there is a tweet that I did see that, that McCallum did put out. Um, I'd, I'd love to find it. Um, he did, I think he did say, look, we are, or was it Ben Stokes? Something about, you know, being 2-0 down, we're, we're, we're now in the perfect position hmm Which is that which I guess is, is that siege mentality now, isn't it? That it's 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 us again yeah. in the world. So, you know, it's it's all that you know psychological warfare happening again. But yeah, I I I think I think Brennan might be under 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 a bit of pressure. I think I think you know this this next test will probably really decide what happens, I think. So um it'll be fascinating. It
0: definitely will be. Um you know, there were these predictions made by uh, what's his name uh, crawley as well that we'll win the second test match by 150 runs and i think he's probably learned the lesson not to make claims outlandish claims until you know you actually have got a few results in the bag
2: well exactly i mean Craw- Craw- crawley's uh he should probably just concentrate on getting a few runs um you know rather than sort of mouthing off
0: yeah cuz his dismissal well, in the second innings, he got an absolutely blistering ball. There's not much he could have done about that. But in the first innings, he went what down, caught behind side. He had no business doing that. If he had played from his normal batting position, you know, he might have even have let it go or just tucked it for a single or something. But because he was advancing down and sort of had to reach out, it just got that little edge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
2: he flicked it. He did he he didn't need to play at it. What
0: what's the general pitch conditions like at Headingley? Does it seem much? I know it's sort of swings over there a lot.
2: I I think the ground has changed a lot, uh, certainly from, you know, my day when I when I lived in the UK, uh, and you'd regularly watch teams get rolled over at Headingley, uh, and see some shocking sort of balls where they kept low and uneven bounce and things. So I, I think it's, I think it's much flatter than that now, um, and uh, and generally a good scoring ground. Um, so I think it'd be a bit more even paced as well. Uh, so I, I think it, I think there'll be
0: quite a lot of runs scored. Any particular predictions?
2: <laughs> I think I think all of my predictions have been completely wrong so far. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're probably not the only one, so don't feel bad about it. Ah, uh, look, um, you know, I, it's
2: very hard to predict, but I'll I'll go for England pulling one back in
1: this next match. Damien, well, I'm glad you lost the last uh, podcast because um, because I can, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I predicted an England win in the second test. But um, yes, you I didn't. did. I can I can quote history and say no, I, I, was, I was going for Australia. Right. Oh look, I really don't know. To be honest with you, it's um, it's Thursday, isn't it? Is the first day? Thursday, yes. It's a, it's a, it's a quick turnaround. Yeah, it's going to be it's so dependent. To me, it's, once again, it's the toss, it's the pitch conditions, um, bowling first, batting first. I'll toss a coin. In respect to Kevin Peterson, his prediction of a 5-0 Test whitewash is gone. Uh, Isha Guha went 3-2, went I think she said. So just for Isha, I'll go for with England win for now, <laughs> to just, just, just to keep her um, predictions up, up, up to speed. Right. Okay. Uh, so far, I think I
0: have been 2 for 2 <laughs> Maybe it's time Law of Averages catches up with me and I might be wrong for the third test, but, but I suspect Australia has the upper hand in the third test. I know a lot of people don't like talk of momentum and things like that because, you know, there's no such thing as momentum in cricket, but I think psychologically it does affect players and the loss of Lyon will be a big blow for Australia. But having seen what Todd Murphy did in India against players who are likely to play spin better in India as well, I think he's a good replacement for Australia at this stage. He may not be as experienced as Lyon, he can learn on the job, and maybe you could argue that that's perhaps the weakest link. But barring Joe Root and probably Stokes and Harry Brook, I don't see anyone in the English lineup playing spin as well as any other team has. So that, that would be a key issue over there. And then it just boils down to whether they pick up Boland or Michael Nieser and drop one of the current seamers. Um, don't know. So team selection will play a part, yes. But I think Australia have the advantage going into the third test match.
2: I was looking at some of the run rates in the, the test match at, at Headingley last year. Um, the England when they batted they were going at five and a half and over. And they were hitting the spin for over seven and over. In um, New Zealand, we're going at three and over. So it, it is a fast scoring ground. Um, so we'll, we'll see. how. I, I think the, the the new guy coming in, I think he'll be under a lot of pressure uh, in in a cold conditions. I don't think the weather's going to be that great. Just mm. I don't think he's going to get much spin uh, headingly. So um
0: Hey, he'll probably get five wickets. is, this, if, Murphy,
1: is this Murphy you're talking <laughs> about James or
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> well let's see let's see what happens. Um we'll catch up again after the third test match for sure to discuss mm. these issues and I think we might have our own leaderboard going as to who's got <laughs> how many predictions right.
1: <laughs> Can I just make a just a, 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 a quick mention of the um, World Cup qualifiers to give. just yeah. I know, it's it's not the ashes but um unfortunately the West Indies are out. They lost, to, they, they lost to Scotland. Um, yeah. And I i don't know where the West Indies go from here, but I think Australia is touring the West Indies later in the year. And then I think they're back in January, February for a, a couple of test matches over here as well. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a long road back for the West Indian cricket. And to hear, I think poor Ian Bishop had to commentate that game. Um, and hearing his commentary was just, yeah. I, I feel I, mad for I really him. felt for the man. Yeah, it was it was it was horrible yeah. to, to, to uh, listen to. Because you know his tone of
0: voice often betrays his emotions. Whether yes. w- whenever West, West Indies win or lose, and he's somebody who's really passionate about West Indian cricket. And I think he's one of these few commentators who actually does their homework on the teams and the players that they're going to talk about. That There's not a lot of commentators out there who put in that hard work. So yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for Ian Bishop. But even before Australia go to West Indies, India is starting their tour of West Indies next week with two test matches. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, As things stand, they have a very young management in place at the moment. So they've got Darren Samy as their coach, who's only just started before this assignment. Uh, They've got a new CEO or director or whatever those positions are. So, you know, there is some degree of optimism within West Indian fans that things can still improve. Uh, it, it all depends upon how much they invest in that. And when I say invest, it's not just the monetary investment, but also the improvement of infrastructure, access for fans to come and watch the games, the quality of the players, the selections. And importantly, I think they need to overcome the politics in the region itself. Because, you know, West Indies cricket is a very unique entity in world sport uh, that, you know, it sort of encompasses a lot of governments and countries to form this one unified team for the region. Before we wrap up, keeping up with the Ashes theme, news of Alan Border's diagnosis of Parkinson's has come out. And I think that has uh, shaken a lot of players and fans, you know, who've adored the man and respect him as a player and as a leader. So we wish Alan Border well in his uh, journey and hope, you know, he stays well for a long time to come.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And here, and just very quickly, Sagir, I was just on the American Whittleboard Major League rules. Mm-hmm. And um, I do propose a change to the um, MCC rules about catches. And this is in regards yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> We haven't really touched on 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 Nipstart's catch, but this is the American Whittleboard Major League definition of a catch. If the ball is fi- finally and firmly held by any fielder, even though juggling or held by another fielder before it touches the ground, it is deemed a fair catch. Yeah, but we are playing cricket; we are not playing American sport. I agree, but that to me is a very objective rule. And um, I think this—I'm looking at some of the MCC rules now because I was trying to. I even googled the spirit of cricket, which is mm-hmm. which is like which is like reading the Bible. Um, for the, for the MCC rules and it's very, it's just very subjective. And uh, I think I think you know now that I've been sort of been introduced to you know baseball and basketball, there's some very objective rules. And I I, I, I just do wonder if we cannot learn something from our American cousins. Well, oh, we could, we could.
0: And I think one of the first things cricket needs to do is simplify the wording of the laws yes you know if you have ever read that blue book you know the one that actually has the written laws in it it is such a convoluted language it takes me at least three to four readings of some of these laws to actually understand what they're including or excluding and is there any reference to a previous law or a section of the same law that they've mentioned mm-hmm. four paragraphs earlier it is so confusing at times yeah.
2: Well, it, yeah, and it probably leads on to the 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 Bear incident. Um, you know, I've watched several replays of it from different angles and things, and I've, I've kind of chopped and changed my own opinion on it
0: mm.
2: a few times. And and then when you read the actual laws um, as to when the ball is alive and and things like that, yeah, then yeah. You, you you can see why it's really such a grey area. Because and, and I've I've, when-
1: I've got the rule here twenty point two. Mm. whether the ball is, is is finally settled or not is a matter for the umpire to decide that's exactly <laughs> mm. and the- but, but then well, yeah, if i go to american baseball this yeah. is their version of a dead ball if a player or official is hit by a pitch if an obstruction occurs if an interference occurs if a balk which is a fo- which is a fake throw or the ball is hit out of play or the ball is caught That I, you know, that that to me seems very finite. Where the rule twenty point two and and the MCC just seems a matter of, I can see why people get get confused. No, I understand. And
0: like I said, you know, the the wording of the laws needs to be simplified. But when the MCC decide to do that, that that's a different issue altogether. And I think this is what makes cricket a very unique sport. You know, it's not like tennis. It's not like football. It's not like uh, baseball or basketball or volleyball where everything is really cut out as black and white. You know, cricket has a lot of gray areas. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of controversies that creep in, which, which I think add to the charm of the game. You know, it's not always good, but... You know, as they say, any publicity is good publicity for a sport, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, now that you, you've got the two prime ministers involved in a yeah. <laughs> submarine deal, which could be in jeopardy, you know, we we might be going back to France for our submarines now. I I I I don't know. You know, like this is this is this is how far it's got. So um, no, it's yeah. it's, it's it's good banter, but I do mm. I do I just I do wish that the wording could be a bit more clear. Clear. Yeah, look,
0: I I hear you, but you know these are the laws that are stayed around. There have been some changes and revisions based on whether people are taking unfair advantage of a law. You know, say for example uh, Pollard, and you know his deliberate short running just so that he can get back on strike because he's technically is scoring a run and still being on strike. So, you know, the MCC Technical Committee changed the wording of that law and banned this sort of thing. So, you know, evolution in cricket has always been very gradual, and I think it's always been proportionate to the misuse of the law. So, you know, when things like this happen, you know, we'll see what what they do. So,
2: Well, uh, I can see there being some sort of change to the wording, um, particularly if, if this does now lead to uh wiki keepers increasingly just throwing the ball back at the stumps uh yeah you know and it, and it just becoming a nuisance in the game
0: yeah because it'll just so waste time
2: exactly it just becomes a waste of time and it's intimidating okay. and it's it's just uh you know you know but so that i i do think something does need to change on that and yeah. when when you looked at the, that i sort of watched a side angle of it and the, the umpire at square leg um once the ball had gone through, he actually did motion to sort of move away and he wasn't watching when the, when the bails were knocked off. So you could sort of say from that side of it, then he, he, in his mind, he's considered the, the ball to be dead because he's no longer watching the play. Um, and so, so I, I think that just adds to this whole grey area with, it, with that rule. Um, and also, what if the, the wiki keeper catches it, throws it to the first slip, and the first slip just throws the stumps down?
0: you know like that, it, that would be an attempted run out i suppose because yeah. it's not the keeper hitting it yeah so, well, so no, that it, that section of the law is clear now i'll put my umpire's mm-hmm. hat on and i'll say this that the umpire motioning to move and things like that you know that is poor umpiring and the reason international umpires get away with it is because there's a third umpire sitting above them so that if these two muppets on the ground miss anything They know that the TV umpire is going to look at the evidence and there is, you know, video evidence of the incident from 10 or 14 different angles. And that is why these guys don't pay attention, which is why we had a problem with bowlers bowling no-balls that were not called out on a number of occasions and vice versa. This is why, you know, you will see that the umpire is scribbling down in his notebook, okay, such and such thing happened rather than actually watching what's gone. If you look at umpires in club games, or even junior leagues, anything below first class where technology is not there, most umpires will stand their ground and wait for the bowlers and umpire to call over before the movement occurs. So that's just poor umpiring at that level. Mm -hmm. And it's partly because there's a third umpire sitting who can just look at TV replays and adjudicate on that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, What if it's the middle of the over? It's not the... It's not. It's not the the final ball of the over, you know, yeah.
0: You, so the you ball, ball is still. Yeah, the ball is still live until the umpires deem that okay. Now there's no further action here, and this mm. ball is dead. So there are times, and I remember this one particular game. I'm just not sure whether it was a T20 game or a Test match, but it was an international game where one of the keepers. You know how sometimes keepers stay close to the stumps, and then the batter tries a sweep shot. They don't overbalance, but obviously you're not going to stay in your crouch position forever. At some stage, you're likely mm-hmm. to adjust your foot to stand up or move around. And the keeper then used that little window to wick, flick the bales off. But because it, Took a good two or three seconds for the keeper to do that. The umpire decided, look, that ball was dead. You were just waiting for something to happen. Yeah, and yeah. batsman wasn't attempting a run. Uh, he wasn't attempting a move. He wasn't overbalanced or lost his control. You just waited. I mean, you can't just wait for eternity. So you know, it depends on when the umpires do that. And this is why you need umpires who pay attention both at the square leg and the bowler's end. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. So that's just my view on it from first-hand experience.
1: I think just to keep it light, gear I was reading an article by Gideon Haig about this, <laughs> a cricket writer. What, what, what did Gideon Well, say? he just mentioned that in 1882, uh, W.C. Grace, I think he the English captain, ran out Australian batsman Sammy Jones in the exact same manner for wondering out of his crease um, under the you know, misapprehension that the ball was dead. And W.C. Grace just said, look, I had to teach the man a lesson. And uh, Sammy said, "I learnt my lesson and I never did it again." <laughs> <laughs> so, and that was eight eighty two So, you well, know,
2: and and that's that's really a big part of it. We all played amateur cricket and everything, and um, I've never been run out of this, in the way that Johnny Bairstow has been run out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I I wouldn't wander down the crease just like that. Although he did scratch his back foot back so i will give him that that was a bit of a signal but still uh you know you watch the ball into the umpire into the wiki keeper's hands and then you kind of decide whether the wiki keeper's playing on basically uh so that's just really common sense
0: yeah and see a lot of players make these sort of mistakes isn't it i mean a very Mm. common one uh, which a lot of uh, top-tier players have been guilty of, is while they're running to the other end, they're so relaxed that they often don't ground their bat before mm-hmm. it crosses the crease. It's sort of overhanging in the air. so And they get run out. I mean, technically, in a way, it's it's a lapse on the batsman's part. And I think this was similar to what based of went through, like, he just assumed that, you know, this ball has sailed above my head, the keeper will collect it and just check it around. So he just stabbed his foot inside the crease. But, you know, that does not really mean anything. Now, if he had looked at the keeper and said, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to have a little walk, you know, off it goes. And there are many controversial incidents. And let, let's not forget, McCullum himself has been involved in two. Once he ran out Muralidharan, when Muralidharan went to congratulate Sangakara after completing 100, and the other incident was uh, with Paul Collingwood, a similar short ball. Collingwood then sort of strayed out of his crease. McCullum was the keeper. He then ran him out or stumped him, uh, only for Daniel Vettori to later withdraw that appeal. So you know, McCullum can't sit on his high horse. over here. <laughs> that's right.
1: But hopefully, yeah. next test, ho- hopefully, next test, both both teams can have a beer after the game. Absolutely. Well, if, the, you know,
0: yeah, it, <clears throat> even if they don't, I think we should have one
1: amongst them. Exactly. Those. Exactly.
0: Yeah, because let's not forget, we are not toffs in the long room, so we can't change the laws anytime soon. We're just mere commoners commenting on things that great people do. Yes. Yeah. Well, it has been an enjoyable evening. Um Before we bring this to a wrap, any last
1: comments, anyone? I guarantee there'll be no stumpings in, in the third test. <laughs> Let's hope.
2: hope <laughs> so. Let's hope for a, a pitch where there's a bit in it for the bowlers, and we get to see uh, a bit of a bit of swing and seam, uh, and 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 the bassman sort of um, on the back foot, not not literally, but um, met-
1: metaphorically, I suppose. I think it's yeah. good to have cricket just just come back. The actual play be exactly be, be, be the talking point again, and yeah, exactly, and, and 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 not get to a point where you know there's a national. You know, the conversation, A big, big and, national and, scandal, yeah, scandal, and you know, we can talk about Stokes' hundred and Gary, Ly- you know, you know, Lions coming out, and you know, just, just, just had that conversation. Yeah,
0: yeah, amen to that. Amen.
1: Well, thank I, you I so much. That. No, thank you,
0: and uh, let's catch up again after the third that test match is done, and let's see what the rest of the series holds for us. You know. Okay. I I, I don't want to prematurely say something, but I'll save it for the next time we catch up. (laughs) um, um,
2: It'll be a very different podcast depending on this result.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. All good. No worries. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks guys. guys. Thank
1: Thank you. you.